0: Well, last Sunday we concluded our sermon series Excelling in Our Love for One Another. In that series, uh, we took a walk through the New Testament epistles uh, and examined all the one another verses to learn how to love one another in the family of God. Next Sunday, uh, we begin a new sermon series where our focus will shift from loving those inside God's family to loving and reaching those outside God's family. Uh, The title of the new series is Telling Others the Good News. And it will be a five-week series. And let me just share with you the titles of the messages just to give you an idea of what the focus will be on. The first message, which will be next Sunday, will be Jesus' invitation to show and tell. To show and tell the good news. Uh, The second message, my responsibility and God's in telling others the good news. The third message, what the good news is and how to tell others about it. The fourth message, building friendships with non-Christians. And then the fifth message, how to overcome fear and begin spiritual conversations with non-Christians. And although this is just a short five-week series, I truly believe it is one of the most practical and important series that I've ever shared. And I greatly encourage you to be present for all five messages. Now, this morning, in order to prepare our hearts For observing the Lord's Supper, I'd like to share a devotional uh, that I've entitled Reigniting Our Love for Jesus. And I hope you picked up a, a copy of the sermon notes as you came in and look at the introduction. Over four decades had passed since the birth of the church when Jesus dictated his letter to the church at Ephesus. In Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. In the letter, Jesus commended the church for three great strengths. But also pointed out one glaring weakness, if not corrected, would cause the church to lose its ability to be a light for Jesus in their community. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. And let's read verses 1 through 5, a portion of this letter uh, to the church at Ephesus that Jesus dictated uh, to the Apostle John uh, to be shared with them. Ephesians chapter 2, he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus. Let me just pause right there, and I'll give you some uh, background that hopefully uh, will... aid in our understanding and the impact of the message. Ephesus was the most prominent city uh, in the province of uh, Asia in the Roman Empire. Uh, They were uh, a center, uh, a hub uh, for trade, uh, commerce, uh, travel. It also was the center uh, of the worship of the god Diana, the false god Diana or Artemis. It had the famous Temple of Dinah, which was actually one of the seven wonders uh, of the world. And you remember, uh, Paul established this church. Uh, He stayed there with them for three years. He was their first uh, primary uh, leader. And then this church uh, probably enjoyed the greatest leadership of any church in church history. Uh, Paul being their first leader for those first three years... Uh, followed by Timothy, and then followed by the Apostle John himself uh, prior to being exiled on the island of Patmos. Uh, Probably two of the greatest lay leaders in church history were members of this church, Aquila and Priscilla. And Apollos, probably the most eloquent uh, speaker, expositor of Scripture in the New Testament era, often ministered in this church so this church was rich in leadership rich in bible study and and God had used him over the years in many many uh, wonderful ways but since the birth of the church now over four decades have uh, have passed and then he goes on and he says the one referring to of course Jesus who holds the seven stars in his right hand remember in chapters two and three There's a letter that he writes to what? Seven churches. And those seven stars represent the key leaders in those churches. That Jesus holds those leaders in his hands. And then he says the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The golden lampstands represent these seven churches. And I love the picture that it has here. That Jesus is in the midst of his people. I mean, think of that for us. Jesus is here this morning. He's walking through the aisles of the church to minister to you, to minister to me. He's the host of this table to give us grace, to pour out His love on us, uh, to give us strength and empowerment, uh, to live a life pleasing uh, to Him. And then this is His primary message to the church, verse 2. He says, I know your deeds. That word... uh, deeds is ergo, it means acts of service. He says, I, I know uh, your acts of a matter of fact, that word know is oida in the Greek text, and it, it means to know something intimately, to know something inside and out. And Jesus is saying as the head of this church, as the Lord of this church, He says, I know you. I know you inside and out. There's nothing hid from me. And man, I, I know your many deeds, your acts of service. And he says, and your toil, that word toil is copus in the Greek, and it means to labor to the point of exhaustion. And then he says, not only your toil, but your perseverance. Perseverance is hupopone in the Greek text, and that means remaining faithful under very difficult, very hard circumstances. So he says, "I, I know you inside and out. Man, I know your acts of service. I know your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you've put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance. And you have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. What a wonderful combination. But now, the fatal weakness, if not corrected. Verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have what? Left. 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 Your first love. Uh, that phrase in the Greek text is Aphimai. It's the same word that was used when a married partner would give their spouse a bill of divorcement. And Jesus is saying, I commend you for so many things, but what's he saying? He says, but now the focus is shifted on what you do for me. Instead of loving me. You're now finding your identity and what you're doing instead of your relationship with me. And as a result, although you have not noticed it and you've been deceived, your love has diminished for me. You no longer value me as you once valued me. You've you've lost the sense of my my worth. Uh, You've lost the wonder of worship and devotion. And now it's just about what you're doing for me. In other words, if you put it in a simple way, uh, this church gave Jesus everything. But the one thing He wanted most, their affection, their worship. An intense, passionate love that would be contagious to all that they would come into contact with. And then verse 5, he says, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand Out of its place unless you repent. Now when he says, if this is not corrected, I'm going to remove your lampstand. He's not talking about the loss of salvation. Once a person places his faith in Christ, he is secure in that relationship. Once caught by God's love, there is no escape. But what he's saying is, if this is not corrected, this church will continue to diminish where you're no longer a light for me in your community. You no longer have any impact for me in this community. Oh, you'll still be going through all the motions, doing all the things that you once did, but there'll be no power. There'll be no impact. There'll be no influence uh, for me. Uh, In your notes... You'll notice I've summarized the strengths Jesus commended the church for, the fatal weakness which threatened to remove the light of their testimony for Christ, and the three step path that he mentions to correct the problem. Look at the strengths, just to summarize. He basically says, You are hard, committed workers. I mean, you folks are not spectators, you're participants. And he commends them for that. He appreciates them uh, for that. These are not lazy folks. These are hard workers for the cause of Christ. And then he says you're rooted in sound biblical doctrine. And as a result, you're able to discern between truth and error. They were orthodox in their beliefs. And they understood the Scripture. They knew the Scripture. They could discern between good and evil, between truth and and error. And they stood on the truth without compromise. And then He commends them for what? Perseverance in the cause of Christ, in the face of persecution, discouragement, and great hardships. So those were their strengths, but their weakness. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And again, this does not mean they no longer loved Jesus, but that the quality, the intensity of their love had greatly diminished. And that's what each of us needs to allow God to evaluate our lives concerning this morning. Has my love diminished for Jesus? Has your love, has our church's love, Diminished in its intensity and its, and its uh, passion. And three evidences of this happening in the church today. And Get these down in your notes. First, when we lose our first love, when we lose that focus of worship and wonder and the majesty and the value of Christ Jesus. The, the first thing that, that happens, and no one can notice this but you. It's a loss of joy on the inside. In other words, as you see in there in your notes, the Christian life becomes mechanical. It becomes routine. It becomes dull and drab. I mean, again, you're still coming to church. You're going to Bible study. You may be doing your devotions. You're doing so many things. But it's it's just a routine. If you're totally honest... You've lost your excitement. You've lost your enthusiasm. Again, we talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, Your Christianity has become more a routine to endure than a relationship to enjoy. You find yourself being motivated more out of duty rather than sheer delight for who Jesus is. Motivated more out of guilt than just being overwhelmed by His grace. The second telltale sign is loss of love, of course. Not only has our love and passion for Christ diminished, but as a result, notice, we become critical and complaining toward fellow believers inside the church. And we become complacent toward reaching the lost outside the church. And then the third telltale sign is loss of humility. And what I mean by that is we become focused on ourselves. And gradually become sensitive, touchy, and unable to bear criticism. Instead of what God wants and pleases Him, we focus on what we want and pleases us. Our Christianity deteriorates. And and it's almost imperceptible initially And all of a sudden, we see God as a means to accomplish our ends, to fulfill our dreams, instead of the fact that we are God's means to accomplish what? His ends. Now, look at the three-step path to correction that he mentions. Three words, remember, repent, return. And that's what I pray will happen in our hearts and lives today. Now, that word remember, the very first word, that's the key word as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in that Passover that he celebrated with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, he said, do this in what? In remembrance of me. Jesus knew that if His children would only maintain their focus on His love for them, their love would always remain passionate for Him. And that's why we're to observe the Lord's Supper with regularity, so that we can remove ourselves from all other distractions, even the good distractions, to remember Him who He is, what He did for us. Now look at the next paragraph in your notes. In concluding our series on excelling in our love for one another, we saw, we saw this last week, that Jesus' love for us is the cause for our love for Him and one another. 1 John 4, 19, we love. Why? Because He first loved us. It's becoming lost in His love that we find the power to love Him, to love others. Therefore, that last sentence there in that paragraph, Therefore, by reviewing how we are to love one another, we also have the opportunity to remember how Jesus loves us which will reignite our love for him. So what I'm going to do right now, we're going to review those one another verses that we looked at over the last 21 messages. But we're going to look at them from a different perspective. Jesus says, you're to love others like I what? Loved you. Therefore, you can also look at these one another passages as, well, if we're to love others... As Jesus loved us, well, this must also be how Jesus loved us. I think you'll catch the drift pretty quickly. So just follow along with me. Romans 12, 10 was where we began our series back in January on excelling in our love for one another. Be devoted to one another and give preference to one another. Beloved, think, think, reflect on how deeply God is devoted to you how he gave preference to you, how he put you first through the sacrifice of his son, which we celebrate today. For God, so what? Loved. Loved the world. Loved you. Loved Andy Merritt. Put your name there if you're a child of God. Put it there right now. For God so loved That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, how He loves you and me. Romans 14, 13. Let us not judge one another. Let me ask you a question. Did you and I deserve God's judgment? Did God judge us? No. The Bible says, Says Jesus came into the world not to judge the world but to save it. Romans 8 1 says there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This morning, instead of God's judgment, you and I enjoy God's undeserved mercies, which are new each morning and never fail us. Oh, how he loves. You and me. Romans 14 19, pursue the things which make for peace, the building up one another. Jesus pursued peace with you, with me, with us as a church family. Ephesians 2 says, don't forget that you used to be outsiders. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Oh I can I can, as as it was like yesterday I can actually go back to those days prior to me coming to know Christ. And folks, I can say I was without God and I was without hope. It brought this young man to a place of total despair on the brink of suicide thinking the most compassionate thing I could do for myself would be to take my life because there was no hope for finding any purpose or meaning living in a in this world but now you have been you united with Christ Jesus Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. He brought, here it is, He brought this good news of peace to you who were far away from Him. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Oh, how He loves. You and me. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. Think on this one for a while. God accepted you, Ephesians 1 says, as his beloved. He adopted you into his family. God accepted you unconditionally. And don't miss this. He did all of that when you were at your very worst. Romans 5. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I've said many times from this pulpit, the wonder of wonders of God's grace and love Is that he loves you and me as much as he loves his son, Jesus. He values you and me as much as he values his son, the Lord Jesus. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Oh, how he loves you and me. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 verse 25. Care for one another. Does Jesus care for you? Matthew 11, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And then elsewhere in the scripture it says what? Cast all our cares on him. Why? Because he what? Cares for us. Oh, how he loves you and me. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Did Jesus serve you? Does Jesus serve you? What does it say in Mark 10, verse 45? For even the Son of Man. This is Jesus speaking Himself. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Oh, how He loves you and me. Galatians 6, 1, restore one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear with one another's burdens. The Bible tells us that when We stray from God. Jesus will literally leave the fold. He'll leave the 99 to pursue us, to come after us. Luke 15, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, I love this, he lays it on his shoulders... Rejoicing. Talking about bearing burdens. When I stray, He not only pursues me, but when He apprehends me, He doesn't rake me over the coals. He doesn't come with words of accusation and condemnation. He simply picks me up And lays me on his shoulders. And carries me. Until I'm healed. And strengthened. By his love. Might, mercy, and grace. Oh, how he loves you and me. Ephesians 4.2. Show patience to one another. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Has Christ shown us patience and kindness? Has Christ shown us patience and kindness? Yes. Ephesians 2. Listen now. Despite the fact that we were depraved, doomed to the garbage heap of eternity, hell, everlasting punishment, it says, but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together in christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in here it is so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. If you're a child of God, you are a trophy of God's patience and kindness. Oh, oh, how he loves you and me. Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another. Philippians 2.3, regard one another more important than himself. You ask, me, me, more important than Jesus? You're telling me Jesus made himself subject to me? Philippians 2. Jesus. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to grasp, to cling on to. But he what? Emptied himself, taking the form of a what? Bond servant, a slave. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as he hung on that cross, Psalm 22 tells us what he was feeling like. He said, I'm not even a man. I'm a worm. As I've been despised, rejected, beaten, tortured. Tortured so much so, we're told... That you would not even be able to recognize Him. Oh, how He loves you and me. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to one another. Has Jesus ever lied to you? Has Jesus ever lied to you? No. And that's why you can trust His promises. Hebrews 6. Listen. It is is impossible. I love this. It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore... We, who have fled to Him for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the veil into God's inner sanctuary. Oh, how God loves you and me. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Reflect for just a moment. What did it cost Jesus to forgive us? Isaiah 53, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. Of course, as he took our place, took our punishment, but He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. He knew, who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we now might be made the righteousness of God in Him. When Jesus hung on that cross, He treated His Son just as if He had lived your sinful life so that today He could treat you as if you had lived Christ's sinless life. That's the gospel. That's grace. Oh, how He loves you and me. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Increase and abound in love for one another. Comfort one another. Uh, 4.18, uh, 5.13, live in peace with one another. Let me ask you, does God abound in love for you? Of course He does. A love that will never let you go, a love that will never let you down, does God comfort you? And does He give you peace? Yes. His grace is what? All sufficient. And His peace passes all understanding. Oh, how He loves you and me. Look at Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another. Hebrews 10.24, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. James 4.11, do not slander one another. James 5.9, do not complain against one another. James 5.16, pray for one another. Let me ask you, does Jesus encourage you? Does He motivate you without bad-mouthing you? Does He pray for you? Romans 8, if God is for us, who is against us? us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, but in all these things, We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, how he loves you and me. 1 Peter 4, 9 Offer hospitality to one another. 1 Peter 5 5, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. 1 John 1 7, fellowship with one another. 1 John 4 7, let us love one another. Think on how Jesus has ministered to you, how he showed humility to you, how he's fellowshipped with you, how he has loved you. Jesus is the one that we read of in John 13. It says, Jesus knew, he knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' stinking feet drying them with the towel he had around him. Oh, how he loves you and me. Now, beloved, when you remember his love for you, how can we not repent of our lack of love for him? Look in your notes. Two points there under repent. This is what we need to do this morning. We need to realize that the essence of sin is not the difference between good and evil. Most of us in the sanctuary would be considered moral, righteous individuals in many ways, externally at least. So realize the essence of sin is not the difference between good and evil. But when anything or anyone becomes more valuable and important than Jesus, that's the essence of sin, not giving Jesus His rightful place in our hearts. Jesus not being our first love, our greatest passion and pursuit, the most valuable person in our lives, the most important person in our lives. So the essence of sin is when anyone or anything steals that from Jesus, which is rightfully His. So what does it mean to repent? Look at that next point. Confess to sin or confess to Jesus, confess to Jesus in prayer, that we are guilty of spiritual adultery. We're guilty of spiritual adultery and forsake what has stolen our hearts away from Him and ask for His forgiveness. So as we remember His love, as we glory in His love and His grace and His mercy, we need to repent. If there's anything more valuable or important in our lives than Jesus, we need to confess that we are guilty of spiritual adultery. We need to forsake whatever has stolen our hearts from Him and ask for His forgiveness. And then look at that third key word, return. Remember, repent, return. What does return mean? With the eyes of our heart fixed on Jesus, run into His outstretched arms to be revived in His love and to pour out on Him our affections and allegiance. Again, as you return, He's not going to badmouth you. He's not going to beat you. He's reaching out to you. Come to me. Let my embrace overwhelm you, overpower you. In my grace, in my arms, find restitution, repentance in return. And then second, that last thing, place Jesus back at the center of our lives in church with our one goal, to love and please Him.